This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. Ratmobile was one of the most visible bands of the feminist punk rock Riot Girl movement in the early 90s. As part of KEXP's Northwest music column Throwaway Style, Martin Douglas spoke with the founding members Allison Wolfe and Molly Newman. In this excerpt, they talked about activism, the origins of Ratmobile, and the Riot Girl scene. I am very interested in your background in activism before you started the band. Could you expound on your parents' involvement in um, activists or political spaces and how it influenced each of you from childhood? Yeah, I um, grew up in Washington, D.C. My parents both worked in politics, like mainstream politics, I guess. Um, My dad worked for a congressman a few different congressmen as I was growing up and then worked for the DNC. So I was already around public policy and, and government relations and, and things like that, which is pretty mainstream, not necessarily activist. But as I was growing up in Washington, D.C., you know, the times of, you know, which was when apartheid was still in place. And, you know, as a someone growing up in a time when Roe was legal, but, you know, kind of learning about my own reproductive rights and and knowing that the fight against Roe was sort of always present. Those are kind of two pillars of my um, knowledge and inspiration for things that I wanted to fight against. And yeah, that, that, that was sort of like a, an interesting time for me in, in that environment. But that definitely informed when I met Elson and the sort of phase of life that we were in. But it, she had such a a different, unique experience too. Maya, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but weren't you volunteering for some um, nonprofits or some organizations before I met you? And did yeah. you have a, like a funeral in Oakland before I met? Like, <laughs> well, I was, I was a couple, two things there. Yeah. So I, when I was in high school, I, I worked for an organization one summer called the Children's Defense Fund, which tries to support children's rights and fight poverty. Well, the biggest campaign that I worked on that was pre- present then was the adolescent teen pregnancy prevention campaign. But yeah, I was in, in high school and in early my first year of college, I, I was really interested in the Black Panther Party and learning about that. And I happened to be in Oakland when Huey Newton died. So you're right, Allison, I did go to the Huey Newton's funeral. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, yeah, we can't leave There's a little out. bit of a weird, a weird thing for an 18-year-old white kid to do. Um, but I went by myself and it was a really emotional experience. Yeah. Didn't you take a few buses to get there? I think <laughs> I did take a couple buses. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have my own car. <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> so that's the Molly I met, you know, um, in yeah. the dorm. but I was coming of it from it, maybe from a more like personalist political avenue. I don't know. It was like my mom was a a real activist, really. After she divorced my dad, she came out as a lesbian, a vegetarian for a year, you know, kind of hippie, whatever, um, and activist. And she'd take us to no nukes rallies and things like that. 
And she would march in, uh, you know, pride marches in the tiny towns that we were living in (laughs) and uh, eventually Olympia, but it was tiny back then. And she started the first women's health clinic in Olympia, Washington. And that was like in 1980 or 81. And so, yeah, I mean, and and that was a big challenge, really. And, And she had this goal in mind to have it be like feminist healthcare by for about women. But, you know, she had she had a lot of challenges. Like um, it was hard for her to even get a loan to start the clinic mm-hmm. because she was an unmarried woman, you know. And so wow. like, where's your husband to sign for this? So all this kind of stuff. And she got targeted a lot by anti anti reproductive rights people <laughs> like mm-hmm. the Christian mm-hmm. right, basically. And, you know, harassed a lot. And, you know, people would harass us as well. Like people threw rocks at our windows just a lot of weird stuff would happen uh, because of this work that my mom did. She also performed rape kits um, on call at her office. This is before they are routinely done at hospitals. Hmm. And um, for the times that she did testify in court on a woman's behalf, often she was, I don't know, sent death threats from convicted men, or even if they weren't convicted, I suppose, you know, but angry men. Hmm. So a lot of stuff like that. And she was really an out lesbian and, <laughs> you know, spoke out for LGBTQ plus rights and all that kind of stuff. She's pretty outspoken. She loved a challenge. Yeah, she had an air of, of fearlessness. I'm, I'm sure she, like most humans, there's a fear in there. But that was definitely like the energy that Allison's mom projected you know she didn't really take any crap <laughs> she didn't really <laughs> suffer any fools um including me and all of the other friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah and she wore like a flap jacket to work and had a a glock and a fanny pack that she brought you know as self-defense so yeah pretty well wow yeah. that's yeah that's all incredible stuff Tell me about creating the zine Girl Germs and how that transitioned into forming Bratmobile. I think originally we were going to do a radio show and call it Girl Germs and that the radio station didn't really come together. So we decided to make the zine and they might have all happened anyway, even if the radio show had happened because our friends were you know, making fanzines and or, you know, people that we knew about, we were finding out about fanzines. A lot of them were talking about girls and women making music and so i think it was all kind of coming together in that way but then we did sort of declare that we were a band and then someone said well if you're a band like come and play the show in six months and so we you know took that on and decided to you know we had to write some songs and learn someone had to learn how to play some kind of instrument to go along with it because it was just the two of us and that was how we played That's our first show. Molly. As people who were um, very much in the thick of its creation, what was that initial spark of the Riot Girl movement like? I mean, I just see it as like kind of really a lot of Kathleen Hannah. She was working at a domestic violence shelter at the time and rape crisis center as well. And 
you know, like, I don't know. I think a lot of it was also that the first Gulf War was happening at the same time. And a lot of um, guys in our scene who we knew were actually, you know, there had been a mention of a draft, potential draft, and they were all scared of getting sent away, you know, understandably. But I think that Kathleen kind of sometimes questioned like, well, okay, but what about the war at home, the war on women? And so a lot of these, this political awareness, which of course affected us directly, came into our dialogue, came into our kind of networking and meetings, our fanzines and ourselves. And then I guess all of this talk and stuff kind of eventually became Riot Girl. Yeah. And I think a lot of the idea really with Riot Girl was also like Molly and I, for example, were in women's studies and such classes at U of O. And I do remember at some point in class Maybe using the word girl to talk about ourselves or to talk about others, other um, women and, and just kind of being like, and people correcting us sometimes. I mean, not not our teacher necessarily, mm-hmm. but like other students. And I remember thinking, well, what about the lives of young girls? Like, why is that never really discussed so much in feminism or academic feminism? And why aren't those lives considered as much or something? And also thinking about this idea of uplifting what's been traditionally considered girly culture or women's work and all that kind of stuff, right? You know, these Mm -hmm. spaces that are diminished because they're relegated as like whatever women or something or girls or whatever. So I think a big part of Riot Girl too was to make academic feminism or make feminism less academic, I suppose, and speak more to like, I guess, you know, regular people or something like that, but also to make our punk rock worlds more feminist so i guess making Mm -hmm. feminism more punk and making punk more feminist i think there was like definitely a a a need for community also kind of like along the lines of what allison was describing like you know we wanted the environment and our atmosphere like it was it was pretty intense you know like there was slam dancing was a real thing mosh pits were a real thing we would go to shows and come home with you know totally bruised knees because even we would we wanted to be up front by the bands. We wanted to like be dancing as close as we possibly could to the band, but that meant that we were gonna get slammed and kind of bruised and injured in a way. And um yeah. Yeah. and I think like that was definitely not the goal. You know, we didn't want to feel that way. And part of it was, yeah, so if there are more women and girls who feel safe and are present and in front, like maybe that whole dynamic will shift too, and that would be great. And so how to connect with other girls. And that was when I think the this, the fanzine Riot Girl was really kind of like, almost like a flyer that it became, like, you know, it's just one piece of paper that, we, you know, we folded into four. So it was, yeah. you know, like, it was actually like, hey, come to this meeting as the original zine, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it was like a tool, you know, hey, come hang out. And then that was the first Riot Girl meeting. And then, you know, that, it was never a, had organized um not not to say there was an organization behind it but it wasn't like a designed like we're gonna have a leader and we're gonna have these committees and you know like i work in business so so i have a lot of sort of org design things in my brain at all times and it was definitely a self-organizing self-realizing kind of thing which was inspired by what we were learning about you know the movement that had come before us whether it was women you know through women's studies or you know 
black studies or ethnic studies, you know, there was a lot that that was a real tradition that we were inspired by. The interesting thing to me about Riot Girl is the way that it was miscontextualized and how everyone was kind of put into different little boxes. And I think about how Riot Girl has been stereotyped and the stereotype has kind of stood the test of time as like a white girl thing. But mm. Bratmobile was, you know, y'all were reading Eldris Cleaver and writing about hip hop in your zine. Can you count the ways in which Riot Girl was being shortchanged by being stereotyped and placed in these little boxes? Well, I, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say that these claims are invalid or anything. You know what I mean? That's like, for sure, it probably, you know, or it wasn't intersectional enough. But you're right. It doesn't mean that we're already reading and thinking intersectionally, you know. Yeah, and doing like the work. Yeah. Having that word back. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, uh, and I think a lot of things that we discussed um, or read about or, you know, even just discussed in each other's apartments or bedrooms or whatever um, are things that are actually part of a mainstream conversation now. And it wasn't just us. I mean, there's a lot of other, like, mm-hmm. thinkers back then, you know, alternative thinkers who were also discussing all these things. It's just it wasn't yeah, of course. part of mainstream discussion or whatever. So right. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Molly? No, I mean, I think, I think, you know, like, it's important to, to think with a critical lens about, you know, everything and, you know, what, but also recognize the, you know, the need and the response from, you know, the circumstances that we were in. I mean, certainly there's a whole spectrum, even within maybe the, the people that you might most identify with Riot Girl, you know, the members of Bikini Kill or Kathleen and Toby particularly and Allison and me particularly and, you know, and a few others, like, even though we might look pretty homogenous as, as white women, you know, we also come from a whole spectrum of, you know, economic experience and, and cultural experience. And, you know, that's, it's, it's not, there's no like perfect analysis. I mean, it would be certainly great. I think even in real time at the time there was, you know, legitimate, critique around you know what was perceived to be was a homogenous kind of group but you know i mean there's that doesn't exclude it from being valuable and critical for other progress that i think we can sort of see evidence of still today like i don't accept that music specifically and society for sure is you know by any means the power structure is like balanced and right at all, but there's been some incremental improvement that, you know, I think sort of some of it tracks back to the work that, that we did. And, and so that's, I'm, I, I'm very proud of all of this, even if I think, yeah, like the critique is legit, it's worth thinking about and talking about. Well, also, I think it's important to recognize Although I should be prepared to say a bunch of names, but I think it's important to recognize that, you know, the people who were involved in Riot Girl who don't fit that, oh, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. white middle class, whatever, you know, 
Um, so, you know, there were some people like Ramdasha Baksim who did gunk fanzine, really important yeah. to Riot Girl. Although she also does complain about the lack of diversity within it at the time, you know, and yeah. and has mm. spoke about it, spoken about it since as well. And there's, you know, a lot of other people. And so I don't want to erase them. And sometimes it's also, yeah, a part of like who gets to write history and who gets written in and out of history. It's like these women were there, you know, and so and they should be, you know, like talked about more and their work should be seen more. That was Elson Wolf and Molly Newman of the Riot Girl band Bratmobile speaking with KXP's Martin Douglas. You can read a longer version of this conversation as part of Martin's throwaway style column. Check it out at kexp.org and we'll also post a link in the podcast description. That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, rate it, and review it. Those little things go a long way in helping others know that this podcast exists and is worthy of their time. We're also toying with some new ideas for the show in the future. So I am really curious if you listen to the show on a regular basis. I would love some feedback on what you think is working, what's not working, what you really like, maybe what you don't like share it with me. Send me an email at soundandvision at kexp.org. Thanks so much for listening.